0: Attempting to change the system takes perseverance and resilience, and that's exactly what these Missourians are made of. I'm Kate Bagley, and this is Year After Year Stories of Missourians Fighting to Change the System. In this episode, we examine the trials and tribulations of university students trying to get their peers the mental health care they need. Also, a heads up to our listeners. This episode deals with depression and suicide. Reporter Tessa Weinberg has the story.
1: Stephen Chafin hadn't seen it coming.
2: Fall of 2015, when plenty of other things were going on, um, when someone really close to me started having mental health issues,
1: that's Stephen recounting the experience in September 2018. He was an undergrad at the University of Missouri and he didn't know how to best help his friend who had begun to experience psychosis. And
2: so, there, you know, we would be staying up all night and I'd be trying to, to help her work through this, but we really had no idea, either of us, how to deal with that. Um, went to the emergency uh, room a few times. She ended up temporarily leaving the university, coming back.
1: For Stephen and his friend, it was derailing.
2: But it was after all of that happened, that I was kind of just like, what what happened there? And I wasn't even thinking about this.
1: As Stephen looked back on that semester, he remembered that in late September 2015, his friend had reached out to MU's counseling center for help.
2: And her appointment was made for the beginning of December. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking, oh, by the beginning of December, she was gone. Mm-hmm. She was back uh, in her hometown. Mm-hmm. And um, was temporarily like in a, in a, in a facility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking, you know, I wonder if she had gotten into that appointment sooner, maybe none of that other stuff would have happened. Mm-hmm. That's pure speculation, but I, that was just the natural question that came to mind. Yeah. And so I started.
1: Stephen began to wonder is this a regular event? The more he talked with counselors at Mizzou and the other UM system schools, he began to see that it was. Not being able to get help when someone needs it is not an ideal situation. That might be especially true on a college campus. In 2018, according to Partners in Prevention, a higher education substance abuse consortium, 52% of Missouri college students reported experiencing anxiety, and 20% reported having suicidal thoughts. Steven, who was also the executive director of the student lobbying group The Associated Students of the University of Missouri, known as ASM, felt like something had to be done. That same year, in 2015, over at the state capitol, Representative Keith Frederick was pushing forward a bill in hopes of doing just that for a small group of students. And when the two met in 2017, Stephen knew he had found a champion for their cause. Keith Frederick is no stranger to diagnosing problems and working to fix them. As an orthopedic surgeon, it's what Frederick is trained to do best. And when he joined the Missouri legislature in 2010 as a Republican from Rolla, He approached his work as a legislator the same way. Here's Frederick.
3: But I was the only physician in the Missouri House of Representatives when I was first elected. And if I hadn't been there, I think there would have been a lack of a voice for uh, the medical perspective for these things. I sometimes joke that the legislature at times was about to take a long walk off a short pier. (laughs) And I was there to say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs)
1: Naturally, issues related to healthcare tended to come across Frederick's desk, and he wondered how could he get the legislature to move forward on issues related to mental health. Frederick was already well aware that medical professionals experience higher rates of depression and suicide than the average person.
3: So I began to do some research into the area, and I came to know a doctor down at St. Louis School of Medicine, Dr. Stuart Slavin.
1: Slavin has authored numerous research articles looking at different aspects of mental health and well-being for medical students. And he's developed programs to reduce stress, anxiety, and depression among them. Research
3: showed in that when medical students first enter medical school, the prevalence of depression among them is about what it is in the general population, that's about 4 or 5%. At the end of But the first- by
1: the end of the first year of medical school, Slavin's research showed that number rose to 27%. And by the end of their second year of medical school, 32 percent of the medical students surveyed reported moderate to severe symptoms of depression. You know,
3: some, some bad things were happening to the well-being of medical students as a consequence of simply pursuing medical education. And Dr. Slavin demonstrated down at SLU that changes could be made in the culture of the organization and in the curriculum that would remedy that
1: situation. Frederick wanted medical students in Missouri to be aware of the risks. And he wanted more research to be done on the areas where medical schools were failing. So Frederick drafted a bill that would establish the Show Me Compassionate Medical Education Act, which included a research project aimed at identifying the root causes of depression and suicide among medical students. So
3: my initial version of that bill would have required all six medical schools in our state to assess the prevalence of mental health issues, predominantly depression, on a voluntary basis, on an anonymous basis, and with only aggregate data, so that no individual is, you know, exposed of their their own particular mental health issues. And I wanted that to be available to the public. I wanted it to be on their website.
1: Frederick envisioned the data would be kept private for two or three years to give schools a chance to improve. And after that time period, it would be made available to the public. It's kind of like...
3: If you're having people over to your house or apartment, you're going to clean it up before they come over. So Mm -hmm. the same sort of thing. If they got a mess, they're going to try to deal with it.
1: But when Frederick proposed the bill, opposition swiftly followed.
3: As I proposed this legislation, all six of our medical school deans united to oppose it. And they wrote a letter to the Committee on Health and Mental Health Policy, which I chair, which I still chair. They wrote a letter to all those folks saying, don't do this, don't do this. And privately, they were telling me that, look, if we if we let the cat out of the bag that this is bad for your mental health, you know, our best and brightest are not going to apply to medical school anymore. And I'm like, well, yeah, but there'll be more of them alive and there'll be fewer of them suffering from depression. So overall, that's a good thing.
1: While the bill moved far in the legislative process its first year, it got hung up in committee and was never heard by the full Senate. The power's lobbying against the bill proved formidable. That same year, one of Missouri's own medical students killed himself.
3: He was 10 days away from graduation and was was struggling with depression. His name was Kevin Deal, D-I-E-T-L.
1: Kevin was a fourth-year medical student at A.T. Still University in Kirksville. His parents said he suffered from depression.
3: And uh, so that year we we didn't get it passed. But the following year, his parents became very active advocates on the part of uh, well-being of medical students and are, to this day, friends of mine.
1: Kevin's mother told lawmakers in 2017, quote, through it all, Kevin was terrified to reach out for help for fear of destroying his medical career. I can tell you without reservation that losing our beloved, intelligent, compassionate son, brother, and future physician in this way takes heartbreak to an entirely new level. And Kevin wasn't the only one. In September 2016, Cheryl Collier sent a letter to Frederick about her son, Sean Petro. Sean was a third-year medical student at USC's Keck School of Medicine. He killed himself on Mother's Day 2016. A year later, in 2017, Frederick was still trying to get the bill passed. In a house hearing room at the Missouri Capitol, Frederick cried as he read Cheryl's letter to lawmakers surrounded by a ring of white-coated medical students who had shown up in support. Here's a snippet of Cheryl's letter. He was my only child. He was my world. We had tried out Sean for six years with medical intervention. He was our miracle baby. After his father's death from cancer when Sean was 15 years old, he became even more determined to become a doctor. I was so proud of him, wanting to help others by becoming a doctor. Now, I wish he never, ever went to medical school. I had no idea that my child was at such a high risk for suicide. Sean never showed signs of depression to me, his stepfather, or even his mentor that is an ER doctor. If I had known he was at risk, I could have had him have a roommate, visited a lot more often, even if he didn't want me to visit. I could have done other things as well. I just wasn't made aware of this problem. Thank you for your time today. If you have a child, no matter how old they may be, Hug them a little tighter and tell them you love them. While doing this, think about Sean and me. Frederick wasn't the only one toiling through the system to improve mental health resources for students. So was Steven, who you heard from at the beginning of the episode. As Steven researched what to do to improve counseling center services, his first thought was more funding. His thinking was, if counseling centers had more funding, they could hire more staff and reach even more students, like Steven's friend, who had experienced long wait times. Um,
2: And one thing I started coming across were these standards from the International Association of Counseling Services, IACS. One of their
1: recommendations? Schools should have one full-time counselor for every 1,000 to 1,500 students. Stephen looked at MU and other state universities' numbers and realized that many weren't close to meeting that goal.
2: So we just kind of kept expanding and thought, the more people we have involved with this, the easier it will be to convince lawmakers mm-hmm. and to help as many students as we can. And it ended up coming out to around $2 million total that mm-hmm. we would need, um, about 1.3 of which you would need on an annual basis. So mm-hmm. a lot of it was uh, facilities. Mm-hmm. So 1.3 million per year. To, to hire a number of staff members, which really struck me at the time as not an insignificant amount of money, but in the world that we're dealing with in terms of state appropriations and, and university budgets, not all that much.
1: Stephen took the idea back to ASIM, the student lobbying group he was then leading. Started in 1975, ASIM is made up of students that lobby four other students. Just like registered lobbyists who work to get legislation passed for a living, Students in ASUM draft legislation, find bill sponsors, and work to make bills law. students
2: actually, actually lobby themselves
4: They're not uh, it's not like the normal intern experience
1: where That's Natalie Butler, a senior at the University of Missouri and the current executive director of ASUM, which represents students at all four UM system campuses. Her first year in ASUM was the same year the organization adopted Stevens Mental Health legislation on their platform. In early 2017, Asim began to approach lawmakers with a pitch that included the $2 million figure Stephen had identified.
4: You can go to Jeff City with that all neatly tucked in, a nice mm-hmm. little box with the bow around it. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you get to Jeff City, they rip it apart.
1: Lawmakers said they didn't have money to spare.
4: We don't have $50,000. Mm-hmm. We don't have two pennies to rub together. Mm-hmm. and you want us to give $2 million so that we can update our mental health services? Like, I don't think they were aware of the need and the demand.
1: Part of ASIM's role was educating lawmakers on just how necessary mental health services were. That's where being a student came in handy. ASIM could speak directly to just how big of an issue it was. And once lawmakers understood the scope of the problem...
4: Then they want to do the right thing. They want to make sure college students are successful because they know that we're the future generation of Missouri and the nation. And so... It's not like there is a lack of want to help students. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just there's a disconnect. And so I think one of the biggest things that ASUM does is bridge that gap between Mm -hmm. students and lawmakers.
1: But even though lawmakers wanted to help, money was still an issue.
3: If it's going to cost the state a lot of money, uh, that's a real high hill to climb.
2: And the yes, but is almost worse than a no. Mm -hmm. Because it's, there's not really much you can do to convince them. I mean, they're, they're with you, but there's these limitations.
1: It was time to change course. So ASIM drafted a bill that would create a board tasked with setting mental health standards for universities to follow and enforcing consequences when necessary. Their top choice to sponsor it was Frederick, chairman of the House Health and Mental Health Policy Committee.
2: Yeah, meeting with him, I mean, at first I was very nervous. I'd never met him before. But I think it struck a chord with him.
1: Asim knew Frederick's background was in healthcare, and luckily, Frederick was happy to champion their cause.
3: Well, I very much welcomed it because I think the folks that are actually the ones in need of the services are the best advocates for themselves.
2: I mean, that was a really big moment. I mean, because it went from an idea that I had, you know, less than a year ago, and now suddenly, I guess, about a year ago, Mm to something that, hey, it's actually happening. And I remember...
1: Steven still remembers the moment he went to Frederick's office, and Frederick handed him a piece of paper. And
2: it said, like, it was a a bill draft, and there it was, it was out there, and it was the coolest thing. I mean, I think I was definitely hooked then.
1: With Frederick as a sponsor, ASIM began to push the bill through the legislative process. You
4: know, after each step, it's like, OK, we got here, but we hit another wall, you know, here. OK, now we got here and now we hit another wall. And so um, it's really you just have to keep going. It can be really tedious. Um, you know, sometimes you go knock on a lawmaker's door who you've talked to like six times this week. <laughs>
1: Near the end of the 2017 session, ASIM was giving it all they had.
4: Towards the end of the year, the first year is around because it took about two years to pass. Um, It was, you know, kind of just trying those last-minute Hail Mary passes. What can we do? Who can we talk to? Who can we maybe convince to do this?
2: We got really excited, and I think a lot of us were hoping to get it through. And we did amend it onto something at the end of session, and that almost happened.
1: But the bill ultimately failed to become law during the 2017 legislative session.
2: You always look at it, if you can get it to a certain point, you should definitely be able to get it a little bit further the next session. Um, and since we were able to amend it something on something right at the end, like next year, maybe.
1: ASIM still felt that access to mental health resources was an issue worth pursuing during the 2018 legislative session.
2: Um, we saw that we think we really have the votes. How do we kind of grease the wheels a little bit mm-hmm. and, and get it through a little bit faster? And we're thinking, well, what if we just made it that they have to comply with the I.X. standards? Mm-hmm.
1: Remember those? Those were the standards that recommended universities should have one full-time counselor for every 1,000 to 1,500 students, among other benchmarks.
3: And so those standards were out there and available. So all we had to do with this bill was reference those standards and ask our universities to compare their capabilities to what is basically a national standard.
2: And so you have no need for any new organization, no new state board. You have to spend any money. We're just saying... There are standards that already exist. They are something of a gold standard in the profession. Um, All of the counseling directors and counselors know what they are. Um, And let's just see where we are relative to those.
1: But lawmakers still had issues. A
4: lot of what we were hearing from lawmakers was, I don't like an unfunded mandate. I don't want to make
1: the- Lawmakers thought it was unfair to require schools to meet a set of standards without giving them resources to help them meet that goal. So ASIM made a big concession. They took out the section of the bill that would have implemented consequences for universities that failed to meet the Ix standards.
2: And I'll always wonder whether or not it was the right decision.
1: But the bill would require universities to at least make their progress public. Uh,
2: starting in the 2020-21 academic year, uh, institutions have to publicly report how they're doing on each of those standards.
3: I believe the way the legislation read was if they fell short of those standards. That had to be posted in a conspicuous spot on their website so that individuals attending or thinking about attending that university would be aware of the fact that there are national standards for what sort of mental health care should be available. And this institution either meets or fails to meet those standards. And so that is information
1: for individuals. Using the IS standards as a benchmark would ensure that all the counseling centers were at least speaking the same language when it comes to defining success. With a revised bill and the lessons ASIM learned in the 2017 session, they were better prepared for their second go around. Frederick sponsored the bill once again, and when progress stalled, they added it as an amendment to Senator Jay Wasson's higher education bill. It was coming down to the wire, with the session nearing an end. So
2: we're all back in our apartments, Um, but constantly calling each other and texting one another, and just keeping an eye on it.
1: It almost became an obsession, Stephen would listen to the audio live stream of the House, hoping to hear the bill come up. And on the last day of session, it finally did.
2: You're just waiting, and you, you might already know exactly what's going to happen, but just mm-hmm. to sit there and you hear it happen, mm-hmm. and it's done, and you made it, I mean, you know, it was really, there's really nothing like it. Um, I think
1: that's Here's the moment the bill that contained ASIM's mental health amendment passed. And then we voted. Ms. Colt, please let the board tell the vote. By your vote of 109 yes and 31 no, you are truly agreed. Final pass. Conference committee subcommittee. House committee subcommittee. Senate committee subcommittee. Senate bills later
3: submitted 577. Gentleman from Jefferson.
1: The 2018 legislative session was the first time in six years that legislation Asim had worked on became law.
4: And it it just makes you really proud to, like, be able to represent students in a positive way. And
2: uh... we're lobbyists. And I think this is part of what makes us unique. You know, we're lobbyists for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're not guns for hire. We're Mm -hmm. lobbying for ourselves.
3: And yeah, I mean, that was a really great feeling.
1: It was a success for both ASUM and Frederick.
3: In the case of ASUM, I was very impressed that that organization saw a need and worked through the process of government, as messy and difficult as it can be. They worked through that in a very professional manner. And they made my job much easier.
1: Asim plans to keep pursuing the issue of mental health and wants to look for ways to better fund counseling centers. Frederick is now out of government after reaching his term limit in the House and losing his bid for the Senate. He'll be going back to orthopedic surgery full-time. He'll also get to be a private citizen once again. Looking back on his time as a legislator, Frederick is proud of what he accomplished. His advice for others wanting to make change?
3: So I think it's just identifying a need, being committed to the fact that it is a very valuable thing to pursue, and then just being persistent. I think you can uh, you can use the system to effect good change, but that's not to say that the system Uh, doesn't need some improvement. I mean, uh, naturally, there are ways that the system falls short of what's ideal, but it's just better than any other system that's out there right now.
0: Thanks for listening. If you or anyone you know has expressed suicidal thoughts, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800 273 8255, or the Missouri Suicide Crisis Hotline at 800-395-2132. Be sure to check out the other episodes in this series. We have stories on one woman's quest to curb neglect and abuse at nursing homes, and on a group of lawmakers continuing a 20-year fight to ensure protections for LGBTQ Missourians. You can find all the podcasts at columbiamissourian.com, including a list of sources for each one. This episode was reported by Tessa Weinberg and produced and edited by me, Kate Bagley. Sky Chatty is our supervising editor. Year After Year is a co-production of the Columbia Missourian and KBIA. From Columbia, Missouri, I'm Kate Bagley.